Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Well, hello everybody. We have a podcast episode for you, which... I think we're both pretty excited to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited too. And you've probably read the title. It's about temptation. Yep. <laughs> it's about spectacle. It's about story. So, uh, so and really when you put them all together. <laughs> it's about the temptation of selling, selling spectacle, spectacle over story, over story. Yeah. We were just making sure we get all that yeah. right. Um, and this was, uh, and, and as so many of these are, they're inspired by the, the goings on of the world out there, either in, in our lives or something that we have seen sort of occurring, um, out there in, you know, the industries and the art industries and stuff. And, and they fuel these conversations. Yeah. And, uh, I think, um, this kind of it stemmed out of a few things, but I think initially it came from that, that new movie Valerian, right? Valerian. Yeah. Valerian and the city of a thousand planets or something. Valerian like that. and the city of a thousand planets. So this, this movie, which, um, uh, you know, was marketed as this big summer blockbuster. It was actually, it took $180 million to produce it. And it's the most expensive independent film to ever be produced so far. Right. And, um, they had, they spent a hundred million dollars on this movie and they had an opening weekend of 17 million, which is horrible. So, um, there's definitely a lot of people that are like, Oh my God, like hopefully we make our money back, you know? Right. Cause I mean, there's safety and there's securities, like money was insured, but, um, we just started talking about why didn't this movie open so well and what happened? Yeah. And, um, I think what we've kind of come to, cause we've talked a lot now, we, we've kind of come to the fact that it didn't really, it sold spectacle, but it didn't sell story. Yeah. And then really there, because it did that, there was nothing to talk about Yeah, and people didn't talk about it. And so you can do all the heavy marketing you want on YouTube and on all these media outlets. But if people aren't marketing it between each other, if they aren't talking about it, a movie has a $17 million opening after spending 180 million on it because people don't have a desire to communicate to it. Yeah. There's no buzz. Yeah. And you know, I think to some degree, like, yeah, it's, it's a risk when you try and sell something purely on the spectacle side of things, especially when you're up in that budget range, you know, like I think to a degree, yeah. Avatar was sold on spectacle when you think back to something like it, but the thing is, is that it wasn't just sold on that. And even then I think that they did it in a bit of a different way. You know, it's like, for one, it's just like, you got James Cameron. Okay. Right. Yeah. James Cameron is a guy who's just like, he's a Titan. And he only industry. makes a film every now and then. Yeah. And so it's kind of important. Exactly. And yeah. even with the spectacle, it was like, I remember the marketing for that was just like, they were telling you why this is a spectacle. They yeah. were telling you why you've never seen anything fucking like this in your life. Right. And you're like, Oh, okay. All right. You know, like, so then you're there, but even then they still managed to kind of show that they're like, what kind of a, that there was this story going on 
underneath it, but they still managed to sell the spectacle in a good way. They had another and, thing going for them. It was the first 3d movie to be released like properly, mm, like in 3d. Yes. And yeah, that, yeah. and that makes it kind of an exception to the rule because you know, Valerian was not an exception to the rule. I mean, it was pretty like, it, yeah, I, I mean, he's been established quite yeah. for quite some time and it looked wow, but like it did, but it, not wow enough. And like, Oh yeah. I'm like, it might be a little bit better or neater or different than anything I've seen before, but it didn't necessarily make me go, well, I, I kind of looked at it and I was like, I've probably seen some things like this throughout various movies, Yeah, but probably it's probably a little bit better, but it wasn't like enough better to make me go like, Oh wow. I have to see that. Like, you know, yeah. this is, like, it's like, we've seen so like we've, we've seen enough really great, you know, CG like, and th- this might be better than anything that's ever been done, but it's like, how much better? Like, you know, it's that point of diminishing returns yeah. where you go, it's like, is it that much better than anything? Like, and because obviously it didn't sell people on that. Yeah. That was that much better. Yeah. And I remember cause like they did, they really did try and sell Valerian on this, um, on like come and see the spectacle. And they tried to sell it also on Luke Besson which, you know, I think he's, he's a good director. I've liked what he said, but to me, he, his name doesn't carry quite the same sort of like weight as, as someone like James Cameron, you know, you're like, well, he did the Terminator and, and he, he did, did Titanic, Titanic and yeah. he did Avatar, you know, yeah. Luke Besson did, has done some really good stuff. You know, he did the professional, I uh, did the fifth element, which I'm like, yeah, those were, I remember enjoying those movies. Well, but I mean, like, that's not an, and, and so they tried to say, it's like, oh, come and look at Luke Besson's Valerian, you know, his, his dream project. So it's basically like, it was them almost trying to sell. We gave this guy enough money to just like have, have his way and do something. And hopefully people will be like, oh yeah, I really want to see his vision. And I, I don't think that that had quite enough pull because you've got to really, be, I think, intimate and really have been a fan of his work because I wouldn't say that his work is necessarily for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, I also think when you look at James Cameron and like why James Cameron's movies have opened so well, they're kind of cultural phenomenons. Like if you think about it, like Titanic, first of all, we wanted to see a real Titanic movie. And you had the promise of Leonardo DiCaprio and, and Kate Winslet in this, this kind of like epic, kind of tale of this very important cultural story. Yeah. So it, it, it was going to draw people and it had a certain, it had benefits. It had the nostalgia of like, this was a part of our history. This was a true story, Yeah. you know, and they, but did, there was this love story that was going yeah. on it too. And Leo was so big at the time too. Like he was, yeah. So it yeah. had, you know, it had a lot of things going for it. And if you look at Terminator, Terminator was in many ways a cultural phenomenon because it was one of the beginnings of sci-fi become becoming cool mainstream. Yeah. Like, because sci-fi before that was kind of like, I mean, I don't know, like 2001 space odyssey. I don't know. Like, right. But yeah, like, I mean, there had did, been sci-fi. This was but... a badass. Like this was a badass kind of series. Right. And if you look at the first Terminator versus the second, 
And I, like the other ones after that, I, I don't think really hold up. But the second is even arguably better than the first. But the first was made in a very like it's gritty. It's like yeah. It's like it's almost like you know they just were like okay, let's just it's dark. We don't even have enough lighting or the right gear, but we're gonna go and we're gonna make this thing and it's gonna yeah. be cool. Well, it was like it was like it was like science fiction injected into the present. Yes. You know, like, and that's almost how it happens. It's a normal world. Every it's today, it's current day. And suddenly this fucking thing comes out from the future. Totally. You know, to like today. So it was like, it had a grounded sense of reality, but then it was just had this like science fiction injection shot into it. You know what, uh, James Cameron kind of did there too, is, uh, he, he developed, um, which is only now catching on, which is the idea of what's basically being called futurism, like the, the word of futurism, which is like sci-fi was you went way into the future, way into another planet. It was kind of too far away from reality today. So you're like, what if the world was like this? But it was like, I couldn't really see a connection to how, like a lot of people couldn't necessarily see a connection from today until then. It was like, this will be in another lifetime in another world almost. Yeah. But what he did was he took something where it's like, no, this could happen today. Like right now, like what if something came back from the future and was in our world today? Yeah. And there's this kind of like, I can grab a hold of that. Like that can be real to me. And I think that's a big reason why Terminator works so well. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, if you look at Terminator, it's so brilliant because you bring, be- you bring the sci-fi to the current world instead of bringing the current world to the sci-fi, like which Valerian took these characters and put them in a world that basically from what I understand had to be entirely created. Yeah. But like in, in this, in this sense, you get to film in like a club, there's like a club or whatever. There's like a scene, these scenes, which are like, no, this is really happening in our world today, but the future is here. And that's kind of neat. Like if you look at like uh, black mirror, that, that show is awesome. And they use futurism to like a T where yeah. they basically take, you're like, well, this feels like it could happen pretty soon. Yeah. And it's kind of scary, you know, cause it feels real. It feels a little too close to home. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that was the reason why Terminator work. And then, so you, then you take that. So you take Terminator, you take Titanic and, and you're also building upon the credibility of these series. You get to Avatar and now it's like, okay, Avatar is like, this will be the first 3D movie that has been properly done 3D that you have ever seen. Like this is a first time thing, you know? And yeah. so you feel like this is the spectacle is this is, I've never experienced anything yeah. like this. It's before. like, you can't, you, it's like, you can't not go and see this movie. Right. Basically it was like, if you don't see, it's like you're missing out on an event. Yes. Right. And people don't want to miss out FOMO. Yeah. Right. And then people are talking about it. That's the other thing. Yeah. And if people are talking about it, movies do well. Yeah. And if they're not talking about it, I mean, I think Dunkirk's doing so well because people are talking about it all the time. Yeah. You know? So like Christopher Nolan, you know, is another great example of a director who's creating material that people are talking about. And I don't like, don't get me wrong. I don't think that the, I thought, I think the actors are probably extremely talented. The director's talented. Everybody's really, it's just simply it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, like I, I, I want everything to do well. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever wish upon anybody to fail, but like now it's happened. It's, it's in the past. It is what it is. And I think what we're doing now is we can look at it. We go, okay, where did we go wrong? And like, and from this, you and I can learn and, and everybody can kind of learn and kind of see what happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, why did this happen? Yeah. 
the number one thing that calls to me is that for reasons like we've been talking about, people were not talking about the film. I saw a lot of marketing on YouTube videos and, and various ways in which I yeah. get content, but none of my friends talked about it and I never saw anything on, you know, social media or anything yeah. about anyone talking about it. But Dunkirk, I heard like, and I read constantly articles about people talking about it. Friends were talking about Dunkirk. They were talking about their experience of it. I heard people tell me who haven't even seen the movie about what people had talked about, about the movie. Yeah. Like people were discussing it. It's, there's no reason why it's not going to do well, but like Valerian, I, you know, and, and even while we're having this, people are, might even be like, what is this movie they're talking about? Because if people aren't talking about it, you probably won't know about it. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's like number one is like, you got to create a buzz. You've got to create a reason for people to talk. And I think that's where story carries more weight than spectacle. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like, like we've been saying, there's been, there's maybe a few sort of anomalies, a few sort of very special circumstances in which, um, selling spectacle has worked. Um, but it's still usually there's, there's other factors at play in, in all of that, that makes it a special scenario. This one, you know, I don't think is a special scenario, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's not. And if there is, then it was not marketed. Well, it yeah, was if not, it, it is, was, then if there is missed. something it's been missed because it's seems to have missed a lot of people. Right. But for me, I remember, cause I saw trailers for it going to see other movies and I'm just remembering like, Oh wow, that looks very colorful and like visually whatever. But there was this sense of, I don't even really feel like I know what this is about. It's like, Oh, uh, these two, uh, have been chosen to save the city. Yeah. They're like crime like that, fighters in the future. Yeah. Like that was basically all I got was like these, like there's yeah. a problem and these two have to save the city. Like the, it's not compelling enough. Right. You know, like it's like, why were these two chosen? Like who who are these people? Why do I care? Yeah. Why do I care about this city? What's so special about it? You know? And it was just, and then like, they just kind of fed you like just the absolute, you know, not even really the basics. They gave you less than what, you know, I would basically expect to be informed of as to like, okay, what's this about? Like, cause that's really the, the, the crucial thing. What is it about? Mm. What is it about? What I mean, is it that's about? What we're going to talk about. And it's like, I don't even know what it was about. I don't even know what it's about based on Honestly, the marketing. I didn't even know that it was crime fighters in the future until I read an article about how it didn't make any money in the box office. I right. didn't even get that from the trailer. Like I, I just, I was like, Oh, like, and, and don't get me wrong. I thought it looked really cool. And everything I saw of those actors looked great to me. I'm, I'm sure everybody did a great job. Yeah. I, I have no doubt of that. And if there is something that's more meaningful to the story, I mean, it's just a shame because it didn't come through, you know, it didn't come through. And I, and I think that, um, you know, like fight club, for example, is one of the biggest cult classics ever. Yeah. And if you look at the box office numbers of Fight Club, it was totally, well, it was totally mismarketed from trailers. But if you look at the box office numbers, it's so interesting because I went through and I looked at it and they just start dropping theaters. They just like, Mm. we we're just, we can't do it. It's just not, people aren't watching it. Right. But then later after it got out of theater, like, like there was a, I think there was a group of hardcores like myself who were like, 
no, you don't get it. This movie is fucking incredible. And yeah. we talked about it. And what ended up happening was people were like, I'm going to give it another go. Or maybe I missed that the first yeah. time around. And once they heard the, the, the people who were like, no, this is fucking awesome. Talk about it. They watched it through that frame and it became a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. It but became it, a cult classic. Yeah. And that's, and that's how that works. Right. Because and I, so, yeah, I never yeah. saw it in theater. I saw it, um, a movie night friends. Cause I was in high school uh. and you know, we rented movies. You know, I think that's where uh, fight club ultimately ended up becoming a success was afterwards because that was in the era of like DVD sales yeah. and stuff. And that was huge. In fact, DVD sales for a time, I'm pretty sure that's over now, Yeah. but for a, for a window was usually surpassing, um, box office. Yeah. Uh, on, on average, like there was more money to be made in DVD sales than the box office. I remember even Dov Simmons, when we did his course, he said that for a time, the studios looked at your theater run, your box office run as marketing. Mm-hmm. You were basically using the theater to market your DVD sales, right? Because that's where you were going to make most of it. Now that's changed with, with on demand, Netflix, all these things like that that's, it's not quite the same picture anymore. Um, which makes it even more important that you do have a great box office again. Yeah. You know, well um, now box office is just about credibility opening, like opening weekend has become so important for these big films that basically if you have a big opening weekend, what it does is it, it, it cause it costs money to put your movie into other theaters. Right. Yeah. And so the thing is, is you got to justify spending the advertising money and the money to keep them in theaters based on what you'll get for return. So that's why as a movie, you know, more people see it, that goes less and less theaters over time. But like that opening weekend basically gives credibility and those first two. And if that weekend's good and then the next couple kind of play a bit of a part, but what it tells people is that, okay, this movie was really good. It's really valid because do you ever remember going to the, and this might be before like younger generations, but do you ever remember going to the movie like rental store and you would look and see a box cover with like Van Damme on it or something. And you'd be like, I never heard of this movie. Yeah. And it was like, or like, you know, someone I, famous I, was on the cover and you were like, when did this movie yeah. come out? I never heard of it. Cause it just went straight to fucking Though video. I still feel like <laughs> I get that experience on Netflix on occasion. Yeah. It's like, you see like this cover and then it's just like, what? Yeah. Bruce Willis is in what? <laughs> you know, like, I've never even heard of this before. Yeah. But I mean, the, the market's changed out there. I mean, that's kind of a, maybe a bit of a separate story, but, um, yeah, like it's, this is, uh, to me, what, for me, what was interesting about this as both an artist and industry where these whole thing kind of balance and they've kind of found that, I don't know what they call it. You know, when you have that diagram of two circles, but then there's that space where they meet in the middle where there's, um, this is kind of one of those scenarios of art industry and here's this meeting point Mm. and it's great storytelling. And it's, it just goes to show how a great story, not only, I mean, does a great story is good unto itself. It's important unto itself. And it's important for us to, to do that. If you're in a storytelling medium, Hmm. although I find that, I don't know, whatever art you're in, you're kind of in some, you're on some level in storytelling, whether you, 
you paint or you sculpt or you actually write novels or screenplays or you make films or you make music. There's storytelling is a component in all of those, right? There's, you know, the end. Yeah. But it's like, if you, the thing is, is that you try and, and, and sell it on superficial things, which is what we're now seeing. Like with this whole thing, it's like, you're selling it on, on the visuals. Look at how great the CG is. Wonderful. Yeah. It looks real good. Why do I care? Why do we even care about what's happening here? Like, cause that's, it has, it's not that it doesn't have draw, but it's, it's very thin. The ice is very fucking thin when it comes to that, because you eventually forget about it. Like it's, it becomes not, it's not that important. It isn't like it ultimately is not that important. And we know that you experience it. Like try to describe the color red to me. Yeah. Right. I, I have to see red to get red. And that's the thing about spectacle all the time is that spectacle is like trying to describe a color. How do I talk to you about color? Like, how do I tell you what red is like? You know what I mean? Like, and the thing is, is that, you know, the other thing too, is like with art, what one person sees in art that makes it beautiful. Another person doesn't see that at all. They see something else entirely. And they like that. They do these experiments where you can look at a picture and they ask you like, what's the first thing you see? And in it, you'll see a profile of a face or you'll see like two dogs or you'll see like a lake and like, you know, a little girl on it or something. And it'll be these images that kind of are combined into things. And, um, you know, everybody sees different things. And eventually if you know what to look for, you go, Oh, there's, there's more than one thing to see in this whole scenario. Yeah. And so art is a lot like that. I mean, we, we might both like a movie, but we might not both like the movie for the same reasons. Yeah. And the thing about story is I think story is kind of timeless because good story helps you connect between like what you like about fight club and what I like about fight club, for example, might be entirely different, Yeah. but the story makes it linked. So we can kind of both discuss it. And what's interesting is we might think we're both talking about the same thing, but we might not be, but either way, we both like the film or we might be able to let each other in on something that we never saw before and appreciate it even further, which gives us further. My point gives us something to discuss and talk about, which is what gets people to see movies. But like, that's such a, like fight club is such a great story. Yeah. You know, with so much going on in it that it's like, it's one of those things that you can like go back through. Like there's so much to take in. There's so much that you can dive into with it. Um, and it's not just resting on, I don't know, like it is a visually striking film. Mm. It's act, it's, it is act, it's a fucking unbelievably amazingly terrific visual film. Yeah. Um, and great acting and, and all of that stuff, but you know, at, at its core is story. Um, I know I said this one I, and I'm going to not quote this correctly and I don't remember who said it. So that's classic me. <laughs> Um, that's my story. Uh, but it was like, it it was something like after, um, after food and shelter, what we need most is story. Hmm. You know, like that's like, it's, it's part of our kind of our survival in many ways. Like we just were, we constantly, we did a podcast about it, how we're constantly talking like everything's story. Yeah. We make everything story. 
And it's like, you know, you take example of like a, you know, a photograph, right? And you can take a, take a photograph and anyone, anyone can snap a shot of something, right? But there's something that separates a truly great photograph from just a shot. Two people could take a picture of the same thing and you get completely, and and you'll get something completely different out of it. Hmm. Right. Um, because you could just take pictures like, Oh, that's pretty click. And you can look at the photo later and go, Oh yeah, that is pretty. Next, (laughs) the great photographers tell a story Mm. in the shots that they're, they're taking, even though it's a still image, you know, it's like, it's, there's, there's something that you're taking, even paintings, like what's going on. There's a story. There's something unfolding there that, that the artist wants you to see. Mm. Um, I saw this really great, uh, clip that was recently kind of circulating around and it was like six photographers, um, basically taking a photo of this guy, six different photographers. And this guy was actually like an actor or something. And each of these photographers were told a different story about him. Hmm. They're like, Oh, he's an ex con. He's a recovering alcoholic. He's a, like a multi-billionaire. He's a psychic. Like there was like, they were all told something different. And then, so they all took photos of him. They did a session with him and then how all of these different pictures came out so differently based on the story that they were telling about this guy. That's so awesome. It was just fascinating. But the, the, the photos were all very provocative, hmm. right? Like, and it's like, even though it's like, none of them were necessarily true, but they were, the, their intention was to tell a story about it. Right? right. And that's what makes it interesting. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, I love these little sort of thought, and creative experiments that, that can go on. Yeah. No, that's, that's really, that's really interesting because, you know, what is the story, you know, what is the story? It made me think like, what is the story that we are communicating to people or, or giving off? Because like when you tell somebody how to look at something, they tend to look at it the way you've told them to look at it. So, um, you know, that's the problem with a lot of these trailers is like a lot of time when a trailer mismarkets a film, like Fight Club, for example, they tell you how to look at it. And once they do, you can't see what's really there. And a lot of people couldn't, they went yeah. in and they thought it was, you know, they thought they were going to see an action movie about fighting. And then they were like, what is this whole shit about materialism and cancer and, and yeah. all like depression? Like, yeah. And this what is, is that? Weird. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I want to just see some guys beat each other up. Like they want to see like one of those, um, Channing Tatum movies, you know, where it's like, you know, fight or something. Yeah. It was called just fight or fighting. I never saw it. (laughs) Fighting. Yeah. Fighting. Like, you know, that's the kind of movie that people, you know, you know, it's another movie that was highly mismarketed was Jarhead. Did you ever see that movie? I never saw it. No. Well, that's an interesting movie because I mean, it is not, it was not at all marketed the way that it should be. And I don't know if it's ever gotten the recognition that maybe it, it deserved, but it was really about the disillusionment of being a sol- uh, an American soldier. That's mm. really what it was about. But they marketed it like it was this next, like, fucking, you know, action movie of, like, war or, like, action, this like, war, like, soldiers and robbers. Maybe rah, rah. almost like a Black, Black Hawk Down or something like yeah. that. Or... And there's this moment where the guy finds out, like, I don't want to ruin anything. This guy, whatever, a guy finds out something horrible at home. 
you know? And it's just like, and it's devastating. It's fucking makes them almost go insane, you know? Yeah. And like, this is what's, this is kind of supposed to give you a bit of a feeling of the craziness and the stupidity of war and how really like these guys aren't even firing a bullet. It's really just to get oil. And, and all the things that they were told were totally fucking bullshit. And they're realizing that. And, and like, there's a certain point in the movie where they fire off their guns into the sky because they've been at fucking war and they've never fired their guns the whole time because there is no fucking war. It's all about getting oil and it's all about holding a position. And it's like, you know, and they're giving up their lives in there and all of this. And so Jarhead is basically like kind of pointing, but of course they don't want to market that to the American public because the American mm. public wants rah, 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 war, like is good and for the troops and all and, that shit. Yeah. Right? So then you make a movie like that and you're dishonest about how you're marketing it. You know, the thing is, is you, the movie maybe wouldn't have worked marketing it properly but maybe you've got to make the movie for less money if that's what needs to happen, if the story is important enough to tell. But when the marketing and the trailer dishonors the actual story, that's another problem altogether, you know? And I think that's a part of like, um, you know, you end up going to a movie and I think they did get people to come out to it and people were disappointed. People were like, and then afterwards you're like, don't see that movie. It's not worth it because not because the movie wasn't good, but because don't see that movie because I didn't get what I paid for. You know, I heard people being like, after that movie came out, I remember I heard people being like, don't see that movie, but it's not that it wasn't good. It was actually quite good. You know, Jake Gyllenhaal is very good in the movie, but the thing is, is that I paid for this and you gave me something else. So fuck you. And so then you tell your friend, don't see that movie because it's not good because I didn't get what I thought I was going for. Not that the movie wasn't good. And you know, the thing is, and they might've done that because they're like, oh, we want to try and get people to come and see this movie. Well, I think that's exactly what it's You know, but the thing is, it still backfires because your expectations aren't met. And so then now you're just angry about it. You know, yeah. Cause Regardless, you're, you're right? looking, you're looking for a certain type of movie. So you're not seeing the movie yeah. you're actually watching. I mean, I think like, like people who are, um, you know, cinephiles, they're like people who really love film and they're yeah. like, uh, you know, and they're, and they're going to see the film beyond how it's marketed regardless, because they've kind of made, uh, they have a passion about it. Yeah. They're not the majority. They're, they're a niche part of the market. Yeah. The vast majority of the public who watch movies, like when I talk to my family about movies, it's really funny cause they're not involved in the film industry. So when they talk about movies, I, I like talking to them about it sometimes. Cause I sometimes get a little bit of a taste of like, Oh yeah, this is how the general public sees a movie because mm. I'm so involved in the film industry. I usually talk to filmmakers and screenwriters and producers the way we talk about the industry is much different, but the general audience member, they don't talk about it the same way. And it's very sobering because you start to realize that they're not in love with it for being a film because it's a film. They're in love with it, a film, because it gave them an experience. It gave them an emotion. It gave them something and they don't even understand how that happened, but they also paid for something and they want to get what they paid for. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not like, going to go, Oh yeah. Like you told me it was this, but it turned out to be that, but it's still a really good film. They don't give a shit. They're like, no, it wasn't what I paid for. And that's kind of the, the thing. And, and I think, um, you know, I, I mean, I think this is another problem with trying to sell spectacle because sometimes spectacle is a lie, Mm. right? There isn't enough of a, what you call spectacle. So you make up a spectacle. 
you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and absolutely. that's not good either. And then it become it's not as much of part of the movie as people think it's going to be. Right. And then it's like, well, what is this? I remember being warned when I went to see Wonder Woman. Someone says like, oh, it's, a, it's you know, like, it can, it's a little bit slower. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I'm like, I'm cool if it's a little bit slower. Yeah. And it was like, it doesn't mean it didn't have really great action stuff in it. Sure. It sure did. Had some really great stuff. And I'm like, whoa, I've never seen anything quite like that before. So it still gave me that. But it's in many ways, the kind of like the, the, the story building and the character building this, the quote unquote slower stuff makes it all the more provocative. You know, it makes it like, it, it creates a stronger, um, distinction and, and, and drama to when stuff is really like really cranking. Mm. Right. Um, and provides more context. I was also going to say, just as another example, I remember funny people. Oh yeah. That was one that was marketed as being like, Oh, it's the new Judd Apatow comedy. Like, you know, and everyone's thinking 40 year old virgin and and that sort of thing. And it's not that funny people wasn't a, what didn't have comedy in it, but it was dark. It was a dark one. It was a dark one. Like it, it dove into some shit. And I heard people be like, Oh, it got into like real life issues. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. And I was like, I was like, Oh, terrific. Cause I hadn't seen it yet. Cause people were telling me not to see it because they're like, Oh, it's like, it's funny, but it's like gets into blah, blah. And it's kind of long and slow. And I was like, Oh, like that actually made, went, made me go cool. I want to see it more now. <laughs> right. And I went and I saw it and I enjoyed it. See, and the was other really thing great. too is that when you saw it, you probably enjoyed it more because it was framed appropriately for you. Yeah. Cause that's the other thing too is like when I saw wonder woman, I kind of wish I never talked to anybody about it because I saw it like the weekend after and everybody's like, it's so fucking good. It's like the, it's like Batman, but better. Like people were saying all this stuff and I'm like, all of a sudden I'm, I'm building in my head. I'm like, okay, man, <laughs> might be you overselling got, like, it. <laughs> yeah, it's totally like people were overselling it to me. So when I went in there, I had to be like, okay, like take those things down. But when I started watching it, like, and I left, I, I felt like I couldn't enjoy the movie as much as I might have because I, you know, and so I'm very, I'm very cautious about talking to people about movies, you know, talking to them before I see them. Like, I, like when people say, oh, just let me say this thing. I'm like, don't tell me anything. Yeah. Don't even tell me your opinion. I don't, I, I'm not interested because like, just tell me to see it or not see it. That's yeah. about all we can talk about. Because if you start telling me how good it is or how you cried, even I'll start thinking about what point did you cry? And I'll already be oh, working yeah, that yeah, shit yeah, out of yeah, my yeah. head. So it's like, don't tell me about that. Just say, see it or don't see it. That's all I want to know. Right. You know what I mean? Because, um, and the other thing too, is I also try to like be mindful now of like who gives me feedback on movies. Cause right. I used to have one friend who would be like, this movie is so good. It's like such a great movie. And like, they do not like any of the same type of movies. I like, like their, their movie yeah, taste yeah. is not, I don't agree with at all. So anytime they told me they liked a movie, I'm like, okay, probably won't like that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's probably not. Gonna yeah. Be I think, I, like. <laughs> I think we all know people like that. And the same thing with me. It's like, Oh, you've got to listen to this. And you know, it's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. Maybe I will. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? And you're like, yeah, yeah, it's great. It was all right. (laughs) All right. Um, okay. So let's, (laughs) so let's talk about this. The other thing too, about story I wanted to say was that, you know, we're kind of saying, okay, well, we're kind of tearing down spectacle. I mean, I still think spectacle is an important element in today's film. Yes. It's just not that it needs to be like, 
I think you need to be careful about being like all spectacle and no substance. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like the spice Mm -hmm. to the food, right? You wouldn't just eat you know, the spice. You wouldn't just eat the spice, <laughs> you know, and the food is nicer with a little bit of spice. Exactly. <laughs> it's a great analogy, but not too much, but spice. not too much spice. <laughs> yeah. Like I want, like that's I gotta want, be good. And I you want know, something in the soup that actually and, has some body in it. And like, you know, not just like, exactly. Yeah. And it's because sometimes like, and even in the food world, sometimes there's, there's certain types of things where it's just like, you know what? You don't like, you don't want to do too much to it. Just right. let the thing itself speak for itself, just cook it properly and just like, and let it kind of be minimal. Right. You know, but then there's other things that it's like, no, 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 we can do this glaze and we can do this <laughs> stuff. And you're like, Oh wow. All this together is so good. You right. Know? And the other thing too, is like, you know, taking this food analogy, don't combine too many spectacles into one thing either. Like, like, um, yeah. someone gave me this example one time. Uh, it was like, uh, it was, lemon meringue pie, lemon meringue chicken, (laughs) lemon meringue chicken pie. Like when you start putting too much shit into it, it starts to get gross. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) (laughs) you you start going, okay, maybe. But like the problem is, is like, I think sometimes the spectacle is like, well, we could do this and this and this and this. And it's like no more in this just do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like maybe yeah. this and this, but no more in this, like yeah. no more after that, because it gets too far away from the whole thing. And I think also a story when I think we're talking about story too, I think we're talking about not just substance, but we're talking about the elements of story that count. Like, you know, you're talking about the mystery box, you know, and that's, um, you know, JJ Abrams whole thing about the mystery box is like, use and utilize curiosity and mystery. Now, not every story utilizes curiosity and mystery the same way. Yeah. But like, that's an element you can use to attract people to the story, you know, because the need to know the curious, the wonder is a great pull into a story. And I think sometimes the story might not actually have like all much that depth and substance and character development. So I'm, so I want to be clear that when we talk about story, we're not just saying that it has to be the next great novel. Like it has to be the next great through and through best characters, best story, best, whatever, but it has to have elements of story that actually work that are beyond spectacle yeah. and just imagery and sound. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. Cause like, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, of, you know, the trailers that I saw of, of Valerian and, and what's going on. Like, and the thing is I am going to watch this movie. At, at well, I have some to point, now. you know, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to watch this movie cause I am curious about it, Yeah, which is maybe what will end up saving it in the long run is like, people will see it just for like what's being talked about now in this thing about how this movie is not doing so well. Because as I understand, it's like, it's not like a terrible movie. Right. Like it's not like I've heard it's not amazing. Like as far as like a story goes, but it's not bad either. Right. Right. And, but I'm thinking of like these trailers that I saw and I'm like, yeah, like it really was the, every element of how that was marketed was basically, it was like, you know, they even flash this stuff from like the visionary director, right. Who brought you this, this, and this. Right. And then it's just a bunch of like, you know, shots of effects that don't necessarily tie into each other that don't necessarily, you're just, looking at a bunch of shit. 
But and don't, don't get me wrong. That shit was cool. Oh yeah. It's very cool. But the thing <laughs> is, is that like for me, anyway, I was listening to another Alan Watts talk and he was uh, yeah. talking about, uh, he got into this thing about virtue. Right. And he's like, and the thing is, is that like what you claim as being virtue is like, it immediately becomes unvirtuous, mm. you know, because it's like, you're like, look at how this virtue that I have. And it's like, well, this visionary director, and it's just like, well, it's not really a virtue anymore now, is it? Right? Like, it's what would have, to me, been better is you tell me what of the story is, imp- like, well, make me curious to want to see more. Like, mm. give me the story. Give me the pieces of the story that that are, are kind of compelling that lead me to want to see more. But within that, you you can show me the spectacle. You can show me the, like your vision, but don't tell me that you're showing me your vision. Yeah. Right. Just show me the vision. And I will say, wow, that's an extraordinary vision. You know, that's so true because by them telling you it's extraordinary, I don't know about you, but because they told me it's extraordinary, I immediately was like, it's not that extraordinary. Like I immediately go, yeah, "Yeah, it's not that like if you have to tell me it's extraordinary, there's a part of me. It's like that example we used before about the person who goes on Facebook and is like, I just helped out at the soup kitchen, you know, and I did all this stuff. And you're like, you're, you're, you're you're like, and I think it's so good and we should all help. And I do this. And you're kind of like, yeah, okay. Like, are you telling me this because you want us all to be like, you're so great. Or are you helping out at the soup kitchen because you really believe in helping out at the soup kitchen? Yeah. Like in a way it would be much better to just show a picture of yourself helping at the soup kitchen or, or whatever, or we, you know, you talk about helping out the soup kitchen without anything on it. And then I can go, that's pretty fucking cool. You went on the weekend and helped out at the soup kitchen and you go, yeah, I did. And then I think it's cool that you did. If you have to tell me that it's cool, you did then immediately I'm kind of like, there's like a bullshit meter I think we have. And I think that's kind of the problem with the way they tried to market it. Mm-hmm. It's like a lack of confidence. It's like, I, yeah. I don't, I have to tell you it's great because I don't think you can get it on your own. It's like, well, if you treat me like a dumbass, I'll treat you like a dumbass, you know, kind of thing. Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, don't, don't tell me what to think. I'll decide what to think. But like, I think it's a shame because if you look at it, it was damn cool looking. But in a way, I'm actually thinking back, I'm going, yeah, part of the reason why it probably wasn't, it didn't land with me as much was partly because it's like, yeah, like, you know, it's this, right? And and once you tell me what it is, and you don't let me find that on my own, you know, yeah. like your work should, I think as an artist, like a good artist also knows that your work speaks for yourself. And, and I want to say too, like with these big movies, with the advertising and marketing, a lot of the time the trailers aren't put together by like the director or by like the people yeah. who are actually creatively involved. They're put together by marketing companies. And so someone's still got to sign off on it though. Yeah. But yeah, those people sometimes are not artists, they're business people. Yeah. And, and I, I think sometimes business people, um, they do stuff so by the book that they forget the human factor in business and marketing and selling. Yeah. Like, uh, like I've shared this before on the podcast, but like, you know, when I, when I start working, like I've been consulting with people all over the world, you know, I meet them. And one of the first things I try to get out of the way is like, let's talk about our story. I don't say that, but I'm like, you know, I tell them a bit of my story. They tell me a bit of theirs. Once we tell each other our stories are like how we came to be a little bit, we're like bonded because now we have 
kind of like, okay, I see where you're coming from. Now you, you don't have to, I don't have to tell my story's so great, Evan. My story's so great. Listen to this. You know, if I start telling you that yeah. now you're going, okay, well, what makes your story so great? But if I just say, nah, you know, I went through this thing, I was making the show and you know what? Um, it, it, it just right at the last thing, like, you know, we lost financing and this is how this happened. And this is what I learned through it. And this is why I built this next show. And this is why I did it this way. And I tell you that and you go, well, that's pretty incredible. You, you know, you, 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 you just, you tell me, it's like, you got knocked down and did this thing. But the thing is, is that, um, it's just my story. It's just, it's just how I lived. It's just how life has gone. Mm-hmm. But if I have to tell you what to think of my story, I, I, and I think that's the problem with the spectacle selling. It's like where sometimes people are going like, here's the spectacle, but just in case you didn't get it, this is why it's a spectacle. And you're like, yeah, nah, no, just show me the spectacle. I'll decide if it's a spectacle. And if it's not a spectacle, if it's not wow enough, then it isn't wow enough. Yeah. But I think telling someone it should be wow only makes it less wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the problem, you know, I think like, cause you know, same with fight club, like, um, I'm pretty sure that Fincher wasn't the one deciding how the trailers and marketing and advertising was going on. Yeah. And, and, you know, like Fincher, in my opinion, I've read the book and I've watched the movie, you know, so many times. And that is one of the best adaptations I've ever seen from book to film and just execution and getting those like, you know, and so, um, Chuck Palahniuk who wrote the book and, and, you know, Fincher directed, I, I, I forget the name of the screenwriter who adapted the screenplay, but like all of those genius artists, I don't think they really had much to do with how it was marketed. Yeah. And I think that's a big problem. You know, that's a big reason why, um, sometimes there's this disconnect between the, the story or the film and the thing. And, I, um, I think if you look at it, the marketers and the advertisers point of view, they're, they're looking, okay, what are the highlight moments? What are the moments which will get people to go, wow, and they can sell the film. And if you, it's like right brain, left brain. And if they're not connected, you know, it, it just doesn't, it's not human anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's either it's too crazy or it's too logical. You know, yeah. it needs to have a little crazy logic. <laughs> yeah. You know, it needs crazy logic. That's Absolutely. what it needs. You know, yeah, it needs the, it needs the mess and the math. Yeah. The mess and the math like another podcast we did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's well, I mean, you know, it's yeah. just a it's just a sort of way of looking at it. Yeah, building upon building upon all of, all of our past ideas too. Yeah. But I mean, um, to me it's like the important thing about this is like we're getting to it's just like the core shit is still the most important shit. Yeah. You know, that's the big thing that's going to end up making it like like what's going to make your work great is those fundamental steps that we overlook all the time. It's not all of the fucking window dressing. It's not all of, you know, it's not the bells and whistles. It's, you know, it's like, it's the core, it's the heart of what this thing is that then you can build upon that, but you need to get that, like that core element figured out Mm. and not just as an artist, not just with you in the process of getting the core of what is this about, but then on the business side of it too, you can't neglect it either. You've got to still sell the thing that's at the core. Yeah. If this you know, is the artistry and industry of it. Like, like I think what we're doing, this too, is where they meet. This is where they meet. And I think spectacle is the industry and story is the artistry. Um, 
you know, or, or substance is the artistry, whatever you want to call it, right? And the thing is, is that um, it's about finding the balance because if it's all story and like a lot of substance, but there is no spectacle, there's nothing to kind of let you, because the thing about being deep, like having substance, you don't usually immediately see substance. Like, I mean, I think you can kind of go like, yeah, I think there's something there, but I don't know what it is. Spectacle kind of like what it does is it kind of gives you a little bit of the, the face of it. It gives you a little bit of the front. But like, I think we've all had that experience where we've seen spectacle without substance and we just feel it's very shallow and weak and are like, ugh, like it just, it was all sizzle and no steak, you know? Yeah. But then if there's like, you know, it's all steak and no sizzle, you don't even know the steak exists. You don't even know it's on the frying pan. So you wouldn't even know to order it or the grill or whatever you want. Yeah. Right. So the thing is, is like, like the thing is at the end of the day, substance is the actual meal you ordered, but, but spectacle is the sizzle. It's the preparation. It's the, it's the way you display it on the plate. Mm -hmm. It's, it's how the chef dresses and looks and how the, uh, how the seating is at the restaurant. Spectacle is is the experience of the environment. But at the yeah. end of the day, you still came for this, the meal, the meal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Like the, yeah. I think the food analogy works really, really yeah. great for this because yeah, it's like you look at it and you go, wow, that looks so appetizing. Right. Right. And he's like, but ultimately you're not getting the food just to look at it. You're getting the food to eat it. Yeah. You're, to consume it. And it's got to taste good. Right. You know, so you need to almost like give a bit of the taste of it too. Like, yeah, it's got to look good. The presentation is, is like, it's like, Ooh, that can like kind of draw you in at first, mm. but now you've got to like, give me a taste of it. Yeah. I've got to be like, Ooh, shit. Or a smell or something, you yeah. know, like something now you got to hit me on another sense. Yeah. You know, there's another sense that you've got to hit in me now beyond just you know, the visual factor of it all, mm-hmm. you know, tantalize me right. with everything. Because the other thing is too, is like, you know, a meal that looks great, but then tastes like shit. Like, yeah, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> but you know, also at the same time, if a meal does not look very appetizing, you might be hesitant to try it, even if it's yeah. delicious, you know, because yeah. if it's like, you know, it just looks like it's just totally ill-prepared. Yeah. you know, and presented, you, you know, and I, you know, I think too, like, you know, the more I'm thinking about this, like spectacle is kind of a little bit like, um, it's kind of the magic. Uh, if you were to think of a magic analogy, part of magic is distraction. And then the other part of it is kind of like execution. Like I'm getting you to look over here while I do this. And like JJ Abrams is masterful at that. He'll get you to, you know, he, 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 you know, he's, and, and M night Shyamalan did it pretty well too, but get you to look over here while we actually are doing this over here. But then pretty soon the magic is you didn't notice this happened, but now that you didn't, now you can get the experience of, Oh wow. Yeah. You know? And so like spectacle is kind of like the distraction, but if it's, if, if you went to a magic show and they just distracted you, but never did any magic, like it's not a magic show. It's not a magic show. It's like, there's nothing impressive about that. It's like, so great. You got me to look over here and you did this thing. And that was kind of neat, but like, so what, you know what I mean? Because, you know, they say that like, uh, with story too, like at the end of every, or, or the beginning 
really the beginning, but anytime you ever tell a story or make a movie or write a script or whatever, you should always ask the question and your, and the litmus test is, so what? Like, why make this movie? Why tell this story? Why do this thing? So what? Like, so what's the big point of it all? You know? And if you don't, if you can't answer the, so what with confidence, with, with certainty, with clarity, then you probably don't have a story worth telling. You don't have a movie worth making. Yeah. And, um, that's, uh, that's an important part of it. That's actually, um, in, uh, Jeff Kitchen's book, how to write a great movie. Cause he's, he gets hired by studios to come in and consult like with mm. their, you know, different teams and whatever. And, and he'll come in and he'll listen to everything. And he's like, that's one of the first things he asks is so what, you know, like, and for him, he's talking about dilemma mm. and establishing a good dilemma in your story. Right. It's like, so what? So what if that doesn't happen? Or what if that does happen? What's the alternative? What makes this compelling? Like if it goes one way or the other, mm-hmm. right? Like it's gotta be, it's gotta be good here. It's gotta be strong here at the very start. Yeah. Because if it isn't, doesn't matter what the hell you do to it, it's still going to be kind of a turd or it's going to be weak or it's never going to fully realize its potential. You know, what was really interesting is remember Charles officer. He won all these awards at the Toronto international film festival. He looked at our, yeah. our movie, um, our movie, the townsfolk. And he thought it was like legitimately a creepy story. Yeah. But he, he looked at our hook in the beginning of the story and he said, you know, why did you do this? See, this is what he said to me, at least he said, well, I said, well, you know, I want to kind of hook the audience. He's like, why don't you just allow the characters to talk and let them do it. And you remember we changed it. it yeah. Was so much more compelling. Oh yeah. It was way better. We, initially we had this big like news thing and it was like, but we were, you know, we were new, we were amateur screenwriters. Right. Yeah. And like, we didn't know what we were doing. So we did this prototypical hook into a story, which wasn't really that much of a hook at all. It was kind of cliche. But then when he got us to just kind of rely on the story, the substance of the story to tell itself, it was monumentally better in my opinion. And then when we did rewrites, we kind of kept that strategy going forward in every other draft. And, um, you know, I've learned a lot from that lesson. You know, even when I wrote Love Lost, same thing. It's just like, just have them meet on the street. Just have them talk. We don't need anything special to happen here. But what happens, most people told me, like, once they started reading it, they got caught in by the dialogue. And I'm like, just let the dialogue be enough, you know? And, there's, yeah. and the thing is, is that if what I, what I found as I've gone through this, if you have enough substance, if you have enough character development, enough kind of, uh, uh, depth in there, the surface stuff, we know, we, we hear them talk and we know there's more, we know it, we don't know what it is. And that I think creates that, that mystery box. You go, I want to know about these people. I want to know what's going on with them. I want to know what this thing is here. And so you keep reading and then you dig in a little deeper and you find out there's more and more and more. And so you want to keep going. And so like, I think that's like where, where I've been working more as a screenwriter, cause I'm getting hired more for spectacle work than I am for say uh, substance work. Yeah. But where I'm, and I talked to, you know, I talked to Gabe about this. We had a big discussion and he thinks that this is the best strategy for me, but I, you know, my plan right now in a big way is to really work on my substance writing so that as we do more, uh, spectacle work, that substance will be in spectacle, you know, yeah. because that's, what's going to make me a whole screenwriter. Well, you know and I mean? that's, that's what makes work 
really transcendent. Right. You know, is when you take something like, again, it's not a perfect movie and we'll refer to someone who we've already talked about on this podcast, but Christopher Nolan. Yeah. The Dark Knight. That was, that was uh, a game changing. That was a game changer for its genre. For superhero movies? For superhero movies. For sure. It was a game changer because it not only delivered on the spectacle and the action of Batman, but there was so much substance to what was going on Hmm. within that story. There was so much humanity that was going on in that story. There was just like, it was, it was just so far beyond. There was so much more substance than what people were typically used to in like digesting in a movie like that. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, so when you, when you're able to do it, like it, it really makes it transcendent because it's, it's still to this day, one of these, one of these movies. Yeah. Right. It's one that I still go, go and watch again, you know, on from time to time. If you look at Heath Ledger, right. And like, Oh, great performances. Well, you look at his performance and I mean, part of the thing too is the way the dark Knight was created, that whole script gave him the opportunity to do that. I mean, you know, great actors need great material to work with. And, you know, that since the playwrights, you know, have been around, I mean, that's always been the case. And, you know, I think that, um, you know, I think with, when you look at what Heath Heath Ledger did with the Joker, I mean, when he talks about how he got the scars on his face, and he tells like three different stories and you don't know if he's lying in all of them or one of them's true, but in every single one of them, you go, well, that could be it. You know, that could be what actually happened. And like, there's this, there's this, like, I remember the one that stood out for me the most was he talks about how his dad took the Mm -hmm. knife and sliced him open. That one, I don't know. To me, I was like, I think that's the real one. I don't know if it's the real one or not. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe not. It doesn't really matter. But what ends up happening is there's this part of me that goes like, wow, like what a fucking horrible thing for a kid to go through. And then there's this part of this thing where this guy <laughs> wants to blow up a whole fucking boat and kill all these people. And there's this part of you that's already kind of had this part of a relationship with them where you've been a little bit like, man, like you've, you know, it's that whole, it's the breaking bad effect. It's the Sopranos effect. It's where you can create a humanity to someone that, you know, house of cards effect. It's like where you can create a a, a relationship with someone who, if you only understood the spectacle of them, the surface of them, you would never like that person. Yeah. But once you get to know Tony Soprano, once you get to know these people, you, you know, you, you kind of go, okay, I get that you're a mafia boss and you're breaking people's kneecaps. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I can put that aside for now. Cause I want to get to know you. And that's the beauty of substance and story. That's where yeah. story like, cause otherwise what is the Sopranos without the substance in the story? All it is, is, is a New Jersey mafia, which is maybe interesting kind of for a little bit, but after a while it's going to lose its luster. Yeah. You know, why is Breaking Bad interesting? It's, it's not just about the biggest meth dealer in this, you know, uh, New Mexico or whatever. It's about a guy who was going to die from cancer, who was trying to find, you know, some, some way to leave his family with something and some more purpose to life in a life that we can all kind of relate to where he did all the right things and ended up empty 
and feeling like he, he and not taken care of and like, yeah, yeah. And he didn't take risks and, and we can all relate to that. And so when he becomes Heisenberg, we're like, yeah, but like, I get your struggle, man. You know, so you're, you're, he's murdering people and you're somehow like there. And that's the thing. That's where, that's where substance, like it's, it's what gives you like, like it holds you, you know, like, and if you yeah. go back to the, the, the restaurant analogy, I mean, if it was really all about spectacle, we would just always go to fine dining restaurants and be like, let me sit here and drink water, you know, like, because that's what we just want the experience of fine dining, but it isn't. We go yeah. to fine dining partly for the spectacle of an experience, but we go because the food is excellent. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's like the same thing for like, you know, we're just going out for a burger. A lot of like, the, yeah, like, or like a food truck or right. something, you know, great street food. Sure. You know, it's just like, there's something about that experience too. It's that's different. That's a spectacle too. You, that's a spectacle too. You yeah. know, it's just like, there's the line of people standing outside of this great food truck and you're standing out there and whatever it is you're eating. And maybe it's like just dripping down your hands and like everybody's standing <laughs> there with like juice dripping down their hands of like whatever this thing is that they're eating. They're like, this is so good. Yeah. I don't know what this food is in particular that I'm talking about, but it suddenly made me hungry. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Oh there's another thing I want to say before, uh, before we get into the beer. Okay. Okay. One other thing. So I was in film school for a bit before I dropped out of it and decided it was all bullshit, but <laughs> so there was a, there was a bunch of us who all made films in this one uh, filmmaking course. And we all went out and we made our films and we were little teams of three. And, um, one guy who made his film, um, he, he made the worst film, lowest quality film of everybody. And he was also, I, I don't know how to describe him. Like I'd almost describe him as being like a little bit socially slow, like kind of didn't really fit in with the group. And, you know, I think he was someone who maybe in life struggled a little bit fitting in, mm-hmm. but overall generally a nice, good kid, right. And good guy and whatever. And he got, he got along, but he just, you know, this is kind of a little weird, kind of a little off, a little off. Yeah. But he, he made a film that was about, um, a, like, I think it was an Afghani family who, um, they had like a dying mother and they were trying to take care of it. And it was really following these kids who you, you didn't really realize, but back home, they were trying to make sure they took care of their sick mom. And mm. it was made during a time where, you know, terrorism, nine 11 and all of this stuff was around. And, so it gave this humanity to what people were basically calling like terrorists. And I don't know if he realized how brilliant the film was in that respect, but it wasn't made all that well, shot all that well, or like whatever. But the thing is, is the story had political, social, cultural relevance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of substance too, is like, sometimes the story and the spectacle are not really all that great but sometimes social cultural relevance matters more than anything. And we see this with the Oscars all the time where a movie you're like, I don't know if that was the best movie, but there's something about it, what it says about humanity and socially and culturally right now, that's more important than a film that was maybe made better or visually looked better. Right. You know, and when I think of like Avatar and how, you know, the, the one that actually won was the bomb one. What was that called? Uh, Oh, the Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker won, right? And the thing is, if you look at Hurt Locker... That was such a good movie. Yeah. Well, it was much more culturally relevant. And also, like, it was much more culturally relevant than Avatar. And the thing is, with Avatar, Avatar had the whole thing about we're destroying our planet and all that stuff. And it had a certain cultural relevance, which I think is what 
partly what helped it with the Oscars and helped it be like kind of that big contender. But it didn't really bridge the gap because the story was a little bit, um, dare I say, like a little bit cliche, a little bit superficial, a little bit shallow. It didn't really dig into that. Yeah. But like Hurt Locker went into the humanity of being someone who's dismantling these bombs. And this is, you know, and at the time these things are relevant. And I think that can be kind of the turning point for a story. So I think also like with stories, um, you know, it's not, it's not always about having the best character, best story or the biggest spectacle or whatever. There's a kind of a third element, which is being relevant and being meaningful for the time you're in. Mm -hmm. That, that plays a big part in all of this too. And like, when you look at Valerian, you go back to that. I mean, I don't see anything that was meaningful about it either. Mm. Like it didn't, not only did it not have substance and story and characters that I was really getting behind and a why, but it didn't, it also didn't have a social, political, cultural relevance to it either. The thing is, is again, maybe there actually is. Maybe there is, but it wasn't marketed. It'd be cool for us to like see the movie and then revisit it and say like, okay, so this is what's actually happening in the movie. And here's what, you know, where it was actually really good. They didn't, they didn't communicate to people that this is what was going on or if it was actually absent from the movie itself. Well, and I think it could be one of two ways. Either they don't, they don't have it. And I don't think it's necessary for every movie to have that. I don't think that every movie needs to have that to be a good movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just saying that at least the way it was marketed, if there is anything like that in it, it definitely didn't come out. And I think that if it did have it, that's such a shame because that could have been the turning point, which gets you to kind of go, Oh, I need to see this movie. Yeah. Cause you know, the other thing, when I think of like, uh, black mirror that, you know, that show, like I think about how culturally relevant it feels. It mm-hmm. feels like, yeah, like if we don't start dealing with technology with more ethics and intelligence and, you know, we're going to end up in trouble. There's going to be like, you know, it could be dangerous for us. And mm-hmm. I think we all kind of get that. So there is a, there is a realness to it. There's a kind of like, yeah, this is culturally relevant. It's, it's, it's relevant to me as a person. You know, and I think when, um, when movies hit on all cylinders, they're culturally relevant, they're spectacle, they're substance and story, and they do all of those, you end up with something that's really fucking phenomenal. And I think like, that's why like, uh, and a lot of people don't understand why this movie is such a big one, but you know, Oscar Wilde did, uh, what's the movie called? Um, uh, why am I blanking on it? It's the number one, a- um, AFI movie. It's, uh, oh my God. It's Oscar old. Wilde. No, wasn't it? Uh, the, uh, what's that movie? It's, am I, am I, the one with the, the sled, Rosebud. Oh yeah, yeah, Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane, yeah, yeah, yeah. Citizen Kane, that okay, was, so. Uh, Orson Welles. Orson Welles, that's it. Yeah? Orson, Orson Welles? Welles? Yeah, Orson Welles. But you look at Orson, okay, look at that film, right? At the time, it had spectacle. At the time of m- when movies are made, it was a different time of spectacle, but it did. It had visually, it had the spectacle, it had the, the lighting, the look that, you know, the actors, all this. Then you look at the story, the way it was told, the depth, the interaction, the whole thing, the cultural relevance, that materialism, that, that we have meaning behind things and we have meaning behind our life. That's more than just about the American dream and becoming famous and powerful and whatever. Yeah. So it hit on all cylinders. And the thing is, is that that's why a movie like that is so monumental. You know what I mean? 
And like, I'm not saying it's the best movie ever, but I think that's where movies really, um, they really execute. And, and part of it too, is not just making a movie that way, but also communicating that a movie's that way. Because I think that people need to have a reason to talk about it. And if they don't have a reason to talk about it, I think that you, you, you end up with a movie that doesn't do too well because, you know, look at Blair Witch. People are talking about it. That's why the movie makes money. You know what I mean? If you're not talking about it and and the thing with fight club, I think the reason why it didn't make a lot of money in the beginning is because most people didn't understand it. So they Mm -hmm. didn't know how to talk about it, but that's why it became a cult classic because later people did. And once they did understand it, they talked about it nonstop. Yeah. So creating a connection. Yeah. Creating a connection. Um, so, uh, what are you thinking about this, uh, this brew? <laughs> what are you thinking about this, uh, this beer? Um, well, it's good, man. It's been super refreshing. It's been very tasty. Um, it's, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm going to guess it's like a wheat beer or a half of Eisen or maybe a white ale, something like that. Um, it's light, refreshing. It's, uh, it's got a little citrusy to it. I'm digging it. Yeah. That's all I can say. Yeah, no, it's really, t- I saw it and I was like, that just looks so, so damn good. I can't say no. It's a I little I, sour. I, I know it's too. Little, yeah, it's that's okay. probably why. This is from Moody Ales uh, okay. in Port Moody. And this is called S- their Sublime Pineapple Hefeweizen. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Okay, so it was a half. Um, it is indeed. Here, why don't you top yourself up there? Sure, I'll do it. Um, um, yeah. For the summertime, which is, I mean, you're hearing this kind of, I guess, uh, well, I guess it, technically it's still summertime when you're hearing this. Um, <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah, maybe depends when you're depends it, on yeah. when you're hearing it. Uh, when if you're keeping really... up to date then, <laughs> um, but it's, it's a hot day. It's a hot day in July. Yeah. July here. It's warm days. Well, we're talking about blockbusters. I mean, I think, you know, blockbusters, they come out in the summer. They tend to be, you know. Yeah. And they kind of have their, their stories to them. Cause yeah, like in the summertime is when a lot of the, the biggest big budget movies come out. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is that the summertime blockbuster isn't so much about having all the depth, but I think when it comes to our talk, I think the thing is, is when it comes to like a blockbuster, which Valerian obviously is aiming to be, or was aiming to be, um, that it, it just, it needs to be more than just at least marketed. It needs to be more than just sizzle, more than just spectacle. Yeah. It needs to have enough to get, to get us to kind of feel like we want to do it. And I think, um, I think when you look at other comic book movies or whatever, they're kind of pre-sold franchises and they have something going where maybe they can get away with just spectacle, but like a movie that doesn't have like a pre-sold franchise that doesn't have a a, a cult following or a group already involved with it. That's going to talk about it and promote it for you. It needs to have more. It, 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 it can't get away with just surfacey stuff. And the thing is that there's still a risk that happens. I mean, you look at, um, you know, what happened with, uh, with Spider-Man. I haven't seen the newest one, but amazing Spider-Man two. I saw that one. And just in in my, in my opinion, it it was one of the more 
not great movies I've seen in theater for some time. Was that the one where he dances down the street? No, no, no. That was that was <laughs> Spider-Man Three. That was with still with Tobey Maguire. Yeah, that was. Um, but the second one that had Andrew Garfield in it. Okay. And um, the thing is, like, so you've got Spider-Man, got a kind of a pre-sold franchise. I'm pretty sure it probably still made a lot of money. It it probably made money. I think I'm sure it like still, you know, managed to make the money back and then some. But they still decided, no, we need to reboot it because of how poorly received it was, Mm. despite the money that it made. Mm. And it's because there were certain elements of it that were just not strong enough. And they're like, no, we need to restart. So there's still a risk. Even if the money is made back, they didn't go, all right, well, let's just make a third. Because the thing is, is like, no, you can't make a third because you know what? people are probably not going to go and see it as much this time mm. around because of the last one. Right. So you've got, they had to completely start from scratch again say, all right, all right, all right, we're going back to the drawing board. You know what's we interesting? We can do this again. It's interesting about these superhero movies is that if people like a superhero enough, they're kind of like, yeah, do it again, but do it right. Do it again. But do it better. Just do it better. You know what I mean? And like, and I'll see it again. Cause like, I mean, I think that's the, the funny thing about like, you know, like Batman and stuff. It's like, you know, I remember when the first Michael Keaton movie came out and I was just like, everyone just like, it was so incredible at the time. Yeah, it's yeah. just so awesome. And then, you know, things got along and then they got to like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger and all of this. And you're like, Oh, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. And then like, and the thing is, is like, at, if you reboot, like the thing is, is Batman for whatever reason, there's something about a character like that where you're kind of like, they're, they're kind of a timeless character. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it's something about that character that we have this, this weird kind of amazing relationship with, you know? And I think like Superman is a little bit like that. Spider-Man's like that. There's these they're, they're, they're a little bit like cultural phenomenons in a certain way. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, 50 years down the road, we've even seen more and more remakes of these types of characters because like there's something about them that just like they they continue to kind of work. And I think the nostalgia that's being built with the current audience right now what might be the nostalgia that carries on even like 20, 30, 50 years from now to next generations. And for whatever reason, there's sometimes with characters and with um, story plot lines, we pass down a lineage. Like that's the thing about timeless story Mm -hmm. is like you, you keep sharing the story through the generations and, and generations that weren't even involved with the initial conception are born into it through parents and through, you know, older brothers and sisters and, and teachers and whatever, who had a relationship with something. And so then there, you know, you kind of end up by default having a relationship with it. And that just makes you much more willing to embrace whatever it is. Yeah. And I I, I don't know. I mean, I think like when you think of someone who, um, 
I think the thing is too, they have very human struggles. I mean, every time I see a Spider-Man movie, I'm like, okay, well, I know what his trouble is going to be. He's going to be a superhero and he can't tell everyone he's a superhero. He's going to run into trouble in his life, but he can't tell everyone he's a superhero. But if he could just tell him, it would be easy, but he can't. So it's going to be difficult. And then yeah. he's going to throw some web around. And of course, it's going to be, I know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. But yet it's still kind of interesting because I think that's kind of a problem that, and that's something that is just very timeless. It's a timeless struggle because I think there's many times in life where just a regular person it would be so nice to just be able to tell people this is what's really going on, but you can't tell them this is what's really going on. So you let yeah. them think what they will and you and you and you take the fucking blow on the chin and you carry on with life. And that's and, and there's something about that struggle, about not really being able to be who you really are and be open because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a danger. Like if you think about Spider Man, there's a or Batman or whoever, there's a danger for them to to be like, Look, I'm also Bruce Wayne, I'm also this other person. Because now they can attack you when you're vulnerable. They know who you care about. Yeah. They know your family and they can go after that. Yeah. And, and that's, so, that's a story that's often explored in, in right. those tales, right? Yeah. You know, some, some with more imagination than others. Sure. But, uh, that's always the way it goes. I mean, I'm sure back in like the ancient Greek times, you know, they were doing, they were doing pl- different plays about and stories about, Hercules and, you know, and Zeus and the gods and stuff like that, you know, mythology. Cause the comic books are kind of like they're, they're modern day mythology. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure they were doing the same, same thing back then. They're like, Oh, that was a good story about Hercules. <laughs> uh, that was not a very great story about Hercules. You know, it was just a bunch of kind of like garbage about how strong he is <laughs> well, as opposed to yeah. uh, like a good story about like, the man himself or what, sure. whatever it is. And, uh, just like we, we still deal with that now. Like it's interesting, especially when with people who are really familiar with the comic books, which is because of the nature of comic books and the ability to distribute them is in some ways a little bit, is a little bit easier. There's not quite as much money on the line in doing, doing these comic book stories of these characters, right? And then the movies take some of those, those stories or adopt elements of those stories because there's so many of them. Mm. But I have uh, a friend who's, who's really into it. And he talks about all these different storylines that occur with this character and that character, you know, like with all of these different superheroes, he's like, oh, well in this series, you know, this is like, like, you know, Batman does this and this, and he has to deal with this and that. And you're like, Whoa, that's absolutely crazy. It's like, yeah, this is one of the good ones. Like, this is one of the kind of like the great storylines of Batman that, that people know in the comic book world. Hmm. Right. So it's like, because there's all these like comic books go through reboots too. There's different tellings of the story and there's certain things that are like, this is crucial. This is not right. Like what are the big themes that, that are always kind of underlying what can you get rid of? What can't you, what is kind of crucial to this personality and to how they resolve things? You know, it's like, because ultimately they're, they are supposed to be reflections of ourselves in some way. They're just, it's just done kind of in a very dramatic, um, even, even almost like a caricature, right? It's kind of out there and we can see, certain qualities that we admire of, of, of courage, you know, in the face of fear Mm. and of, you know, like it it just, 
and of doing, um, the right things, being of integrity, even when it's not, um, not easy. Right. Right. You know, these like superheroes kind of embody all of these things for us, right? That's almost a separate conversation to get into for a podcast. But, uh, but yeah, no, like these characters are all like there to do that. And we can get caught up in the web slinging and the, you know, and Batman's gadgets and in the flying around and the explosions and this and that, and you miss out on the crucial human elements that actually make, that actually make it give us a reason why we're watching these people doing all this stuff. And, you know, I think they also like superhero movies. Part of the reason why they, they are so appealing is because they take realism and idealism and they make them, they, they push the spectrum. They make the extremes meet. And they also take the, they take darkness or, or, you know, uh, evil or destructiveness or whatever. And they, and they, and they push it to another spectrum that is, is uncommon. And I think that there's something about exploring beyond what we know. Like, I mean, it's one thing, like, you know, it's one thing in our world where like, um, I, I, in reality and like being a regular person where you can experience a certain range of your ideals and you experience a certain range of say darkness or destructiveness in people. And then there's your, your equilibrium of like, kind of like, Oh, this is realistic or whatever. And that's partly attitude and opinion and whatever. But when it comes to superheroes, it's like, okay, ideals are so far beyond anything that, you know, people can fly and they're invincible and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Right. And they can beat up 10 guys and they walk through a room, you know, and then this dark side is like, well, they're trying to destroy the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I mean, you know, if you take, um, if you take even the worst bad guy in reality, there's not, I, I don't know how many, if there's any who have been trying to destroy the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's people who have committed genocide. There's people who have wanted to destroy nations. There's people who have, you know, um, done really destructive terrorist acts and stuff, but like, we're, we're, we're not dealing with that spectrum of an extreme. And so I think the thing is superhero movies are, are interesting in the sense that they give us permission to explore beyond the boundaries. And I think sometimes when you go farther out than reality, it's easier to declare the message, you know, like it's, it's, um, you know, there's, and people want to kind of, I think people who like superhero movies too, they like to, they like to be in a world or explore a world that isn't necessarily in the reality. Like when you think of people who love James Bond, I mean, James Bond isn't in reality. I mean, yeah. Some things you can go, well, I guess that could really happen, but like not all of this shit could really happen. Oh yeah. You yeah, know yeah. I mean? There's and definitely like, a fantastical element yeah. to some of it. And with the more modern iterations, they've, they've done a good job in kind of grounding it a yeah. little bit more, but yeah, there's still like an element of, but we kind of want that though yeah. too. Like you're saying, it's like, we want a, an element of escapism, like almost like, like the James Bond world is kind of like ours, but a little bit different. Like yeah. it's like, it's a bit of an altered reality from our own Yeah, that we get to glimpse in on. Totally. 
Well, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I have much else to say. I think we made most of our, our key points in the beginning of this. Yeah, I think so. I kind <laughs> of, I mean, I enjoyed where we ended up wandering into here, though. That yeah, was it's kind been of good. It's all it's all kind of related to it. So, um, so yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, I guess maybe takeaways. Do we do we wrap this one up or just do takeaways? What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I have have a a takeaway exactly. Yeah. Um, my takeaway and my wrap up is, is all kind of the same. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's, you know what? It's, it's all kind of the same mm. in many ways. And like this whole thing of, uh, marketing and as well as the artistic process, you know, you've got like people still actually kind of want the same things, you know, it's like, which is, which is story. And again, like just for me, it's like reinforcing the importance of, of good story. Um, no matter what you do because of, of how much it's, it is in every art form. And to me, the interesting thing has been, it's like, Oh, and it's actually important in the things you might not necessarily think it's important in, you know, which is with this whole conversation about, uh, how this film was marketed and stuff like that. It's like, Oh, wow they forgot to market the story. They forgot to talk about the story and people didn't go to see it mm-hmm. despite all of the bells and whistles, despite $180 million of the most advanced special effects that the world has ever seen. Maybe I don't, I don't know. Cause they didn't really market that either. If that's the case, but it's kind of like, it's almost as if they expected people to know, to know that mm-hmm. if that was the, the situation, but you know, they fail to deliver on, on the, the core component of, of the dish. Mm. You know, they, they, they marketed just the spice and the flavors. It's like, it's like, Oh, there's gonna, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's lemon zest and like, (laughs) and roasted peppercorns and like, and, and mashed, you know, garlic and, and you're like, uh, okay. And, and it was like on gravy. What? And it's like, on what, <laughs> on what, <laughs> on steak, on, on chicken, steak, on chicken. like, what am I, like, what am I eating? Yeah. Like, what the fuck am I eating? <laughs> yeah. Tell me what I'm eating. Yeah. Those things only work in context to what you're eating. Exactly. Like, like so. you know, so like, if you don't have it in relation to what you're eating, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, it's like, oh, there's sauteed mushrooms. It's like, okay, well, sauteed mushrooms on are, steak? are good. On I like clams? sauteed mushrooms, but yeah, it's what like, are they on, right? but there's usually they're a there's side context. or they're on top of something else still. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They kind of like, that's, that's kind of what the thing is, is they like, they told you about all the spice and all the sauces and maybe like some of the sides, maybe yeah. that you're going to have, but they didn't tell you what your meal was. And so you're like, yeah, great. Like what yeah. the fuck am I eating? They've alluded to me. It's like, it might be chicken. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it might, might be, be chicken. I don't know. It I might don't be, know. It I might be down. tofu. Yeah. And then everybody just went, you know what? I'm not down for mystery meat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's pretty, that's a good, I like that. That's a good yeah. way to wrap it up. Um, well, you know what? I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to take from this exactly. Um, I guess the, the best thing I could say is I'm really definitely going to be looking at my stories and my screenwriting and filmmaking for that matter. Um, with this talk in mind, because it's really, I think 
I think it's important to both have substance and story and, and spectacle. You know, I think substance, story and spectacle, they, they can all go together and it's about finding the right balance. Sometimes you need more spectacle and a little less story and substance. Sometimes you need more substance and story. It depends what you're trying to do. It depends what you're trying to prepare to deliver. Um, you know, and I think that's going to be something that I'm going to consider as I move forward and really like, um, you know, and think about that. And I think that, um, you know, the other thing too, is that little side nugget that, you know, I I threw in earlier, but I I think I'll bring it up again, which is that, is it socially culturally relevant? You know, does it have anything that kind of ties us into today that makes it relatable and, and present and now and immediate? Because I think that's an important element too. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know, um, like, I don't, I don't think you, you, you have to have everything be perfect, I think, but you need to like, just tell me, like when it comes to story, you don't have to have the best story ever written or the most depth or whatever, but you got to tell me at least a little of the story. So it's like, and I like this, uh, this eating analogy, this food analogy. It's like, just tell me, am I having steak or chicken or mussels or salmon or broccoli? Like what am I, what's my main thing that you're giving me? Like at least give me that. Right. And then when you give me all the wonderful things you're putting on it, then I have context if I like the idea of combining those, you know? Yeah. And I think when it becomes like, uh, you know, the socially relevant thing is like, you know, what kind of answers the why, you know, it's a little bit of like, well, there's something like the other thing too, is like, you don't necessarily have to comment on it, but if it's in there and it's present and you can communicate it in some way, I think it has a certain kind of link to, it makes it immediate. It makes you kind of go like, this is relevant. And so because it's relevant, there's this part of me that wants to do it. The thing I'm going to leave everybody with is this. If nobody's talking about it, nobody's seeing it. Yeah. I think that's the big thing. I mean, I think you can use all the marketing and advertising dollars you want, but it all comes down to like people talking about it. So, so at the end of the day, the, the biggest thing is give people a reason to talk about something. Mm-hmm. If they have a reason to talk about it, you will find that, um, a lot of the work is done for you. People will do the heavy lifting for you Yeah. and they need to have something that's, that's in it for them that, that makes sense to them that they can communicate. And I think if it's just spectacle, it's like trying to tell somebody about the color red or blue, they can't do it. And so it's not that they don't want to, but they couldn't communicate it to someone else if they wanted to. And also I think the other thing is give the communicator a chance too, because if I'm really, really excited about your movie and I want to tell all my friends about it, you got to give me a way to even tell them about it. Because if I'm just like, you guys got to see it, it looks so amazing and blah, 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 blah. I mean, unless that's a value to them, they probably won't do it. Right. So basically the only people who are going to go see it, if I say it looks so amazing are going to be the people that already value that something looks amazing. But I'd say most people, I'd say that's only a fraction of people. Cause I say most people are looking for more like there's visual people, there's auditory people, there's people who, you know, they really like character. There's people who really like conflict and plot line and people like different things and they like movies for different reasons. And some people want an experience and they want it in a different way than you're delivering it. So I think all of these factors are just giving me a lot to think about as far as not only what kind of movies to make, but also how to communicate the movies and stories that I make or tell. So, 
That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of take it and I'm just going to take it as something to chew on really. Nice. You know, I don't know if I have a... No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with all the All right. Well, chew on it, folks. Chew on it, folks. That'd be good. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.